I've had over the last 16 years or so uh, a number of opportunities to um, to go to Uganda. Uh, we partner with a ministry called the Hope for Kids International, and so over the last 16 years, I've probably been to Uganda now nine or 10, maybe 11 times, I've kind of lost count, but um, a big, big part of their worship service over there in the churches that I've been a part of, they always do a, a, a response, and, and maybe some of you have heard this before, but I'm gonna invite you to be a part of this. If you've never heard it before, um, usually the pastor will get up and he say, God is good, and then the audience says, all the time, yeah, okay, and then, and all the time, all right, so you kind of got it now. So we're going to try it all together as if you were in Uganda and you're going to say it with gusto, okay? God is good. And all the time. That's right. You ever stop and thought, what does that mean? Yeah, God is good, but what does that mean? And what does that mean to me? Um, when we were little kids and, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money to buy, but at Christmas time, we want to get our parents something or for um, birthday. You know, my, we'd always, my, always ask my dad, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? And his answer was always, I just want good kids. <laughs> How do you live up to that? You're a kid. What does it mean to be good? Uh, we're in this series um, uh, uh, called Believe, and we're focusing on this last part, um, on, on the fruit of the Spirit, the, the harvest or, or the fruit that God wants to bring about in our lives. And it's all about who we are becoming. It's the be part of believe. And so today we're talking about goodness. And um, if you think about that, well, what does that mean? mean? What does that mean for me? And there's a real interesting conversation that Jesus had with a young ruler that came to him one time. And, and in this, he kind of tweaked this idea of goodness. If you want to turn there, it's in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 18. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. We're actually going to look at two passages together this morning. So I'm going to start with this one. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? What, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, hold that one and then turn back to Luke chapter 6 because it's a little bit more about this idea of goodness. And Jesus kind of expounded on this idea. Verse 43, it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, those two may not seem that related, but I kind of want to 
unpack this a little bit, this whole idea of goodness and what is goodness and what does it mean for you and I to develop this character, this quality? How do we nurture this quality of goodness? And I want to start with this idea, that goodness is more than just subjective opinion. Because we live in a culture that, that kind of views goodness subjectively. Um, if, if you are, want to know about a good restaurant, you go check the Yelp reviews. Um, my wife and I were planning in uh, November to visit our son and daughter-in-law. They live in New York. And so, you know, we're looking for hotels. And so I go online and I'm, I'm looking and I want to see the reviews. And usually what I do is I start with the one-star reviews. And I want to see what people's complaints were. Um, and if they're even valid at all. And then, you know, then I kind of work my way up to the five-star ratings. But we, ha we have this whole idea of rating, and goodness is kind of on this sliding scale. Um, and, and it really depends a lot on your expectations. It, de it depends a lot on your taste. There are actually some people that think country is good music. I don't get that at all. It's subjective. But, but that's kind of the way we think, and that, that kind of carries over even into our sense of ethics and morality, that, that we judge goodness kind of on a sliding scale. And, and so, you know, who's to say what, who's really good and who's really bad? I mean, that's not for me to judge. And, 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 and then even when it comes to judging ourselves, we have this sliding scale. We have this ability to, it's called a self-serving bias, Social psychologists call it a self-serving bias, and it's a way by which we tend to emphasize our, our strengths and our successes and minimize our shortcomings and defeats. And uh, a, a social psychologist named uh, Dan Ariely actually wrote a book called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Including Ourselves. And there's a, a TED talk that he gave, and I want to show just a little bit of it, and what, what we're talking about with this self-serving bias idea. How many people here have lied at least once since the beginning of 2014? <laughs> How many people here think of yourself in general as honest, wonderful people? <laughs> the same group. How can it be? How can it be that at the same time we think of ourselves as, as honest and then we recognize that we're dishonest? It turns out it's all about rationalization. On one hand, we want to look at the mirror and think that we are good, honest, wonderful people. On the other hand, we want to benefit selfishly from being dishonest. As long as we cheat just a little bit, we don't have to pay any price in terms of the image and the way we view ourselves. And we call this the fudge factor. So this is the ability to misbehave and think of ourselves as good people. And you can think about all kinds of ways in which in your own life you have a fudge factor. The speed limit. Maybe it says 55, but are you okay in driving 60? What about cheating a little bit on taxes? What about exaggerating their online dating profile? <laughs> Across many studies, we find that everything that changes the fudge factor also changes people's ability to be dishonest. There are dozens of elements that can change the magnitude of the fudge factor. And we've been able to observe many of them in the lab. For example, if you can say to yourself, everybody's doing it, it's easier for you to rationalize to yourself that this is actually an okay thing to do and cheat to a higher degree. I own a vending machine. I set it up to a price of zero. So what would happen? You would put your money, you would press on the candy you want, you would get the candy and the money. 
First of all, I put a big sign that says, here's the number to call in case the machine is not working. <laughs> How many people called? Zero, that's right. <clears throat> How many candies did people take? Nobody took more than four. The majority took three or four, like five would be cheating. Three or four is uh, kind, of, kind of okay. I think that what people were basically doing is rationalizing their vending karma. Right, so what people were saying is, I remember some vending machine that took my money before. <laughs> and that vending machine has to be a close relative of this one. So the other thing that people did was to call their friends. <laughs> and, and I think you can see the intuition, right? So if one of my friends is coming in Nougat as well, it's, it's more socially acceptable uh, all of a sudden. We're really good at rationalizing and justifying our own actions. And we want to think of ourselves as good, decent, moral people. And yet the truth is, we're not. And so this fudge factor kind of gets in the way. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at when this ruler comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him. It's kind of shocking. It's kind of abrupt. But he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I think what Jesus was doing there was he was, he was, he was raising the bar on good. He was saying there's no fudge factor when it comes to good. That, that true goodness is only seen in God himself. And, and, and so this whole idea of goodness, this, this sliding scale that we tend to use as fudge factor, he's saying there really is no fudge factor when it comes to goodness. That God is alone is good. He's raised the bar. He's saying this is really what the standard is. And you find all throughout scripture, God being called good. Um, Psalm 105 says, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The goodness, his goodness never stops. It carries from generation to generation to generation, which means you can always rely on his goodness. That God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And because he is good, that means that everything that he does is good. And that God does good and works good in every circumstance. That's what Paul wrote to the Roman church. He said, we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, even the things that don't seem good in and of themselves, God works good. Even the bad things that I do, God can work redemptively through them in me. That God's goodness is not tempered at all by our non-goodness. <laughs> That goodness is not subjective. Goodness is the ideal. But along with that, you got to keep in mind the second thing is that goodness is more than rule keeping. See, because it's I, I can't live up to those schedules. You know, I, I, I have this fudge factor because I still want to think of myself as a good person. Um, and then when I want to really be a good person, then I'm going to, okay, well, then I just got to make sure that I obey all the rules. But, but goodness is more than rule keeping. See, we were created good. We are part of God's creation. In fact, if you remember the Genesis account of the creation story, all through the story, there's this repeating phrase, and it was good. And God created, and it was good. And on the next, and God created, and it was good. And in fact, he came to all the end of it, and he says, and he looked at all that he had made, and it was very good. 
that, that, that we are a part of that goodness that God created. And he put in us human beings something distinct and different than all other of his creations. That he created us in the image of God, which means we have the potential for goodness. In fact, he created us good, but he also gave us this free will thing. And because of our choices, we don't always do good. We have the potential for good, but we always have the potential for evil as well. We have the potential for both. And anybody who has raised a child knows the truth of that. You can see that potential in your kids all along. That we are created good, and we're created with this potential for good, but we don't always live up to the good. And even trying to obey all the rules isn't going to get us there. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Roman church. His own struggle with knowing, I know the right thing, I know the good thing, I know the good that I ought to do. In fact, this is what he says. He says, um, oh, I got ahead of myself. Goes back to, first of all, the ruler, Jesus talking with the ruler. He says, and listen, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. In other words, he says, you already know what good looks like. And then the man responds with this, all these I have done since I was a boy. Really? Since you were a boy? All of these you've done? A little self-serving bias going on here, maybe. Really, since you were a boy, like that cookie jar thing, you know, that wasn't you? See, rule keeping, we cannot keep the rules well enough. And that's what Paul's writing about here. He says this, he says, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And that is a description of the human condition. That's the apostle Paul, that's you, that's me. John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping, talks about this God-given ache that we have for goodness. He says, in the same way that the stomach hungers for food, the conscience hungers to be cleansed. That we know what it is to be good because God put that within us. And then the law was given to point to us what that looks like, but the law in itself cannot accomplish goodness in us because though we know what is good and we want to do good, we don't always do it. And even in our greatest desire to do good, we come up short. So how do you become good? How does that happen? Well, it happens from the inside out. That goodness grows from the inside out. That the, that the rule keeping is not going to make it because you will never be good enough. And yet, that desire that we have, that God-given ache inside us to be good and, and God's desire for us to do good and be good, the change has to happen from the inside out. And that's what Jesus was talking about in Luke 6, where he said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. In other words, in other words, the change has to come from within. That the fruit is only the evidence of the health of the tree. 
that the good that we do is only evidence of the good that God is working in us. And it has to start from the inside out. And that is the message of God's grace because none of us is good enough. And none of us can make ourselves good enough, even by our best efforts. That's what Paul was saying to the Roman church. That, that's, the, that's the position that we find ourselves in. So how does that happen then in our lives? It happens by the work of God's grace. Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, this is, this is possible. It is the grace of God that brings those changes about from the inside out. And so what happens in our own lives is there's some things that we can do to cultivate goodness. And it starts with, and I, I'm giving you three of them today, and they all start with C because preachers really like it when everything lines up that way really well. The first C there for you is confession. Confession is simply being honest with myself before God and being honest with God about myself. David, the psalmist, wrote this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think part of what David is saying there is, I know my propensity for this self-serving bias. I know how easy it is for me to justify my actions. And if you know the story of David, you know how well he justified a lot of his actions. But there was something about him that, that, that God said, he's a man after my own heart. There was this openness, this, this honesty before God to say, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pretend and I'm not going to lie to myself. I'm not going to justify myself. I'm not going to rationalize my behavior. I'm going to open myself honestly and openly before you. So search me and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Regular times of self-examination before God. Regular times of that prayer saying, God, show me my true self. The self that I'm really good at hiding even from myself. And I think there's another aspect to it. And I think it's, it's confession with one another. James wrote, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, in Protestant circles, we don't, we don't kind of go for that confession thing, but I really do believe that every one of us need at least one or two, maybe three safe, close accountability partners, people that can ask you the hard questions, people that will be honest with you, and you can be honest with them. There's something about 12-step recovery groups that they, they, they've understood. This is the biblical principle. And they've understood that true healing and true recovery and true change and life transformation comes when we are honest, honest with ourselves, honest with God, honest with other people. So one of my questions would be for you this morning, is there anybody in your life that you've given permission to ask the hard questions? Is there anybody in your life that knows you well enough to hold you accountable? I think we have seen over and over and over again leaders who lost accountability, and it was the first step towards their downfall. And so that accountability, that, that openness and honesty before God, that confession before God, but also with at least one or two other people that will help me 
be accountable, to be honest with myself. Confession is the first one. The second one is another C, it's community. Be actively involved in a church body. Be actively involved in some kind of a small group, um, a, a smaller group of people. It says in uh, Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some as in, are in the habit of doing. How are you gonna spur one another on if you're not with one another? There, there needs to be a connection. See. A lot of people, we, we have put such an emphasis, I think, sometimes on a personal relationship with God. And, and I'm grateful that there is that personal relationship. But we think that that's all that there is to it. But the truth of the matter is we don't really grow unless we're in community. Because it's in community that we are challenged. It's in community that we're stretched. It's in, in community that we're encouraged and helped along the way. One of the... Um, core values that we have at Northgate is that we are all people in process, but we are all a part of what we want to be a grace-filled community. And those two go hand in hand. That none of us has it all together. None of us has it made. None of us has it all figured out. We're all still just like Paul with that whole, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. We're all in that, all in that boat. We're all people in process. But we are to be a grace-filled community in which we are accepting of one another's faults and failures and mistakes. And not judging one another, but encouraging one another and praying for one another. So that we are all growing in this idea of goodness. We need role models, we need mentors, we need people in our lives that we can look to to help us keep moving forward. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So I'm gonna ask you another question this morning. Is there anybody in your life that you look to to say, that's the person I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the role model. That's that example of goodness that I want to see. And then let me turn it around and say, can your life say, like Paul's, whatever you see in me, whatever you hear from me, whatever you put that into practice. See, this is stretching and, and growing in goodness. It starts with confession. It takes being in community. And then the last one is compassion because goodness is always other person focused. Goodness is not about me. See, developing goodness is, is, and growing goodness in my life is not so that I can look at myself and say, boy, you're a good person. You're so good. <laughs> goodness in me is to be directed outward towards others in doing good. And I think that's what Jesus was saying to this young ruler. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, he is not adding one more commandment. He is not adding one more rule. He is not making one more hoop for this man to, to, to jump through. What he's doing is he knows this man's heart. And that's what he goes on and saying, how hard it is for a rich man because his heart was all gathered up in his riches. 
His, his sense of worth and well-being all had to do with his dependence on his wealth and his riches. And what Jesus is doing is he's targeting at the very point of, of his pride and the point of his heart. And he's saying, this is the thing you got to let go of. Jesus is not giving a blanket statement to every one of us to sell all you have and give it all to the poor. What he is saying is that he wants your heart and whatever it is in your heart that's blocking you from this life of goodness, whatever it is in your life that's blocking you from this, this life of generosity, of serving, of giving, whatever it is that's keeping you from the good life, not the good life the way our culture defines it, but the good life the way God defines it, that's the thing you gotta get out of the way. And it'll be different for every one of us. Every one of us in this room has that one thing that just seems to keep getting in the way. Compassion is the heart of goodness. Compassion is when I'm not so consumed with myself that I don't see the needs around me. Compassion is recognizing the needs around me and then being a part of the solution to that in some way shape or form because the man started this conversation with jesus asking how do i inherit eternal life and i think at the heart of it is this eternal life is not about getting into heaven eternal life is about bringing a bit of heaven down here that eternal life is not something that starts when I die and end this life on this earth. Eternal life is something that begins here and now. And it's this process that God is bringing about in our lives, making us good. And that's at the heart of this whole thing. And so we keep moving forward. And this cycle of, of, of confession and community and compassion is an ongoing cycle that needs to be at work in our lives all the time. On a regular basis, Lord, search my heart and know me. Show me myself and my self-serving bias. It's being in community where I can grow and learn and, and encourage and be encouraged, challenged and challenging. And then living out that goodness, that good within our hearts, living that out in acts of compassion and goodness. And Paul wrote to the Galatian church, so let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Would you bow your heads with me? I ask you this morning, what do the gauges of goodness in your life look like? If you were honest with yourself, if you were honest before God, when it comes to goodness, becoming good and, and doing good, is the tank full? Is it half empty? Is it on low? Jesus said the good person brings good things out of the good stored up in, your, in his heart. So the question this morning is how's your heart? What does the fruit of your life demonstrate about the health of goodness in your heart? Our hunger for goodness, that desire cannot be reached by justifying our actions and it cannot be reached by simply rule keeping. It takes a work of grace in our hearts. And maybe for you this morning, your next step 
would just be simply being honest with God and an openness to say, God, search my heart, know my thoughts, show me if there's any wicked way in me. Maybe your next step would be to dive into community, to truly engage with other believers in, in a grace-filled community. And that might be being a part of Confident Living on Wednesday night. It might be getting into some kind of a small group, but developing relationships that you will be continually challenged and encouraged and urged forward in your faith. Or maybe, maybe today, it's simply an act of compassion. Living a more generous life, serving and using the gifts that God's given to you. I don't know what it is for you, but I would encourage you today to take that next step towards goodness and let God grow that in your life. And if you're here today and you don't know the grace of God and you've been spending your whole life trying to keep the rules and earning his favor, today you can take a first step of faith. And it's really at the heart of what we talked about, each one of those things, starting with confession. So as we close in prayer, I'm gonna invite you wherever you're at, whatever decision it might be for you, whatever next step might be for you, to just make this your prayer along with, my, uh, with me. Lord, you know me. You know me better than myself. You know me beyond the facade that everybody else sees. You know me beyond the, the behaviors and actions that everybody else sees. You know my heart. And that's where my goodness needs to start. So today, Lord, I'm opening myself to you and I'm just saying, examine me, search me. Show me what needs to be changed. Not that I can change it in myself, but on your grace, I'm just going to admit my need, my weakness, my failures. And I'm just going to ask, not just for your forgiveness, but for your change to take place in my heart. That I might truly become good, not for goodness sake, but for your sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If there's any way that we can pray for you this week...